0: Welcome back, listeners, to this week's episode of If I Only Knew. I'm joined again by co-host extraordinaire, Matt. Say hello, Matt. Hello, Fred. It's great to be back. What I'm keen to talk about is the role of the young educating the old. Hmm. Now, there's currently a hashtag running around Australia at the moment for listeners that are overseas, and I do know some of the people in our UK team do listen, and it's about a referendum that we're about to have called The Voice, and the hashtag is Ring Arello. That's right. Um, The obligation that the Yes Campaigns put on younger people is the idea of reaching out to those people in their family, and their extended network that are a little bit older and typically get their source of, of information from things like, you know, the Murdoch media and to talk to them in real terms about what the voice means in terms of social change. In our country at the moment, the voice is constitutional recognition for First Nations people. But when I was looking at that hashtag, it occurred to me that this is not a new obligation to the young. Um, You know, we still see on a regular basis Greta Thunberg being arrested for processing Mm. fossil fuels. We know that someone in our network, you know, once uh, cracked an egg on a conservative politician's head. Mm. Um, But it strikes me, Matt, that people of your generation are being given a burden of educating people of my generation and the generation before me about things that should be quite apparent in terms of social change. Uh-huh. And it's not easy. You cop a lot of flack for it, you know. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that. Am I getting this right? Have we shifted some of the burden for modern thinking to younger people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think this is a, a really good one for you to bring along, Fred. Thanks. Because I think in some ways this is the concern that a lot of young people themselves bring up with older people, Fred. I often hear my peers kind of complaining, oh God, we've always got to kind of explain why this is a good thing to do to my parents, or I've always got to um, push back against the news for for when I talk to my extended family or whatever that looks like. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that you've observed this or you've made note of this. Um, and that's a really good, I think, prompt with that kind of hashtag ringarella. I think that's um, a pretty interesting formalization of this. I think politically, we've started to realize just how powerful that can be. Climate change been a part of um activating young people but i think in the australian context uh we really saw the power of kind of youth to shift um demographics in the most recent australian election um because i have a feeling that a lot of grassroots campaigning especially by young people in families and in suburbs was uh responsible for the big shift towards the teal candidates in kind of in a in a suburbia um myself and now with that i suspect we've seen uh the political campaign has learned some lessons about just how valuable that can be and now we're trying to formally mobilize young people to ring a Um and i think that's really quite interesting um it is definitely i think uh, a classic kind of responsibility for young people right this seems to be something that happens um for a lot of different issues and I think there's a handful of reasons for that but um it's really interesting the way I think it's like kind of a form of creative destruction or something like that, where it, it simply seems to be a generational conflict. There seems to be a theme where in general, on average um, young people are more progressive or seeking more social change or more willing to be a bit more radical. Um, but older people are more conservative, somewhat less radical uh, just want things to stay the same. Right. And and that seems to me to be a bit of a feature of, of the way things have been for a very long time. Um, now, Maybe the hippies were slightly before your time, Fred, but uh, I think it goes back as far as that. You have very, very countercultural um, things spawning out of the youth, um, and I think that that seems to be uh, the way of things. This is interesting because there's surely a few very good reasons for this, right? Um, I think young people have... Uh, for one thing, let's say fewer responsibilities in some sense, um, you know, you, 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 can, you can be a bit more radical, you can take a few more risks, I think, when you're young, um, you've got a bit more time to learn what matters to you. And you've got a bit more, uh, a bit more exposure to, I think, some new ideas and new thoughts instead of being set in your networks and set in your ways. So I think that's like a good reason why this is the case. But I also think that's, um, that's a good reason why young people are well equipped to do this. Because uh, I think that's then uh, the knowledge they get to pass on is what they've picked up from these new sources, these, these different kind of places than what older people get to. Um, but I think the concern that I have with this is that it ends up putting the burden on young people. It ends up making it quite uh, difficult. And I know that you know, there's plenty of young people that don't want to engage in these political discussions with family makes perfect sense to me. But if you do, they can be hard conversations, I think. Um, Fred, uh, what does like a uh, political conversation look like with young people in your life? Is that is that like easy breezy? Does that end up getting a bit more heated? H- how do you navigate that, do
0: you think? Matt, it's interesting for me because I think it's easier having a conversation with younger people now, because your generation lives in what they call the information age. And I think your generation is the first generation that's had capacity to really balance unfiltered news uh-huh, uh-huh. through things like the internet and social to get to the heart of an issue and dispute what otherwise is established as fact. Mm-hmm. Okay, if we think about fact um, being established, a long time for a long time there were ads coming out from doctors in the forties and fifties about the health benefits of cigarettes, but we now mm-hmm. know that that was actually paid advertising. Mm-hmm. We know that my parents' generation, and to an extent myself, learned about world events and what we should think about them through a six o'clock news bulletin. But now we know that the news is not an unbiased source of information. So it's through the advent of information and the ease of access to information that your generation's more empowered than mine was, mm-hmm. or the generation before me. And I think you you raised the hippies. The hippies were a really, really good, interesting social phenomenon where before the information age, they were probably the first generation to go out and seek other information to to challenge establishment. Yeah, right, right. And you used a great word, which is counterculture. I think what's different today is things like Ringarello isn't counterculture, it's actually now mainstream yeah, culture. yeah yeah and we see people protesting and we've had great social movement in this country that may or may not have moved the dial. I can certainly think of the support for the same sex plebiscite that we had several mm. years ago as being one where I believe a younger generation of people really shifted the argument, mm. and that continued on into our last federal election where we, we rejected what I believe is to be institutionalised conservative mm. um, parties, you know, the very far right. Right, yeah. And part of it is I, th- I think this is happening with, I'm going to call them kids, but as yeah, listeners yeah. know, anybody younger than me is considered a kid. Uh-huh. Kids now are actually being challenged to think more critically in the way they're educated than I was. Mm, mm, mm. So I think the, the the combination of information and critical thinking has made it really engaging for someone like me to talk to your generation and younger kids.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: And I have to say, Matt, it's interesting for me, having a nine-year-old in the house, how well informed she is about the voice. Right, yeah. And both sides of the argument, which is quite ironic. Mm. Um. Given that her access to media is about an hour of titrated, you know, YouTube shorts and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I find that really fascinating. And I guess the difference is uh, what I would put something down to, Matt, is I think my generation, which is a, roughly your parents' mm-hmm. age, was so frustrated by not being listened to. That the pendulum has swung and they're much more open to listening to youth now Mm -hmm. than maybe the generation before us were to listening to us. Do you think there's any validity in that?
1: Mm, I think that's a great question because this is what I think seems to drive young people mad sometimes, is that we have an older generation that seem themselves to be relatively radical or seem themselves to really advocate for quite meaningful collective action, social change, and yet it feels like when we do the same thing, sometimes there's a lot of pushback against us. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that can feel really jarring. I suspect... Um, in perspective, there's actually not as much pushback as maybe um, we we expect there could have been, right? Yeah. And maybe as uh, the older generation themselves experienced from even more conservative parents, perhaps. But I think there's something really interesting here where you said about the idea of the information age and counterculture becoming mainstream culture. I think what is quite interesting about that information age is that I've a feeling that because we're... Um, it's a lot harder to come to any consensus nowadays that it feels as if we're actually got multiple different mainstream cultures rather than like a dominant culture and a counterculture or something like that where it feels like perhaps to a lot of to a lot of young people I suspect that it's really just quite obvious that this is the way things should be done because that's the network we've been exposed to, that's the information we have. And then you get a lot of older people whose network is entirely different and, and looks and their information looks completely different. And to them, it simply makes no sense that it should be done in any way different to what they expect. And I think that leads to a point where instead of like a common ground of argument that young people can come in with an informed perspective and convince someone about, we've actually just got two different camps that don't have as much uh, interaction or overlap as we might like there to be. Um, and I, I wonder if that's where sometimes young people can feel like they're talking to a brick wall or that they're just kind of being pushed back against sort of thing because they're making these arguments about inclusivity, arguments about um, efficiency of, of decision-making or arguments about the importance of, um, of treating everyone equally, which are things that we've been brought up, especially in Western culture, to think are absolutely central. But then I think older people at least maybe the more conservative ones, are a lot less willing to embrace what those um, ideas mean to their fullest extent or whatnot. Yep. And I suspect that that uh, often leaves young people a bit confused as to the terms of the conversation they're having because they kind of imagine, or it seems quite clear, that the the baseline just kind of leads toward more progressive outcomes. And I have a feeling that that, uh, that kind of means there's not so much cultural crossover as there is talking past one another um and 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 yeah. this is kind of talking to the two extremes i think what what matters and what what something like ringarello is looking for is it's looking for the people in the middle right it's not trying Absolutely. to talk to these two camps because there's no doubt that there are people that live in between those two camps that's kind of where productive democratic society happens but i i reckon it feels we feel more partisan and we feel like less cooperative in the scheme of things nonetheless uh, I do think that uh, there's something constructive about uh, about this kind of back and forth that we get,
0: yeah. I think what's interesting for me when you're talking about this idea of parallels, parallel thought processes, mm. is about information. And I think one of the things I, I observed in an online argument um, a little while ago, which I thought was pretty interesting, because there were two opposing views. This was on uh, a platform that used to be called Twitter, <laughs> and... Somebody put up a blatantly erroneous statement yeah. in regards to uh, the voice. You know, half the comments were, you bigoted racist. But I noticed a lot of users said, I don't agree with you. Can you show me the references? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is where I think the younger generation, this idea of critical thinking comes into place. Mm. So I'll I'll give you two parallels. Somebody sees something online now that they believe to be wrong and controversial. And they say, cite your references. Mm. And what they're trying to do is then go and look at the validity of those references. Because the person did put references down. Interesting. Interesting. And the response was, I think you'll find the sample sizes is is too small here. It's not a peer-reviewed journal article that you're talking about. This is an opinion piece, not scientific fact. And the counter-argument wasn't you're an idiot. Mm. It was the source of information you're using to draw your conclusion is flawed. And I thought that was really elegant. Mm. The juxtaposition to that is my parents, who if you said, why do you believe that? they would say, um, if I throw back, Brian Henderson said it on the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a difference between the trust around information. And I also want to flag the idea that society has changed as well. So if we were sitting here and we were in my parents' generation, um, you would be married and probably have a child or two right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So they grew up faster (laughs) Than I had to, and they've certainly grown up faster than. And when I say that, I mean they. We know empirically they married younger, they had the kids younger, for sure, for sure. Um, and we're extending some of that, and mm. um, families are smaller now, and all those sorts of things. And if you think about that, you know, marrying young, lots of kids—that's actually quite a conservative um, Judeo-Christian concept. Mm. Whereas the independence and self-reliance thing is a little bit, sort of flies in the face of that, it's social change in and of itself. Mm. You throw the idea of where you get your source of information and I think there is an obligation to young people to kind of ride the storm, to weather the waves and say, listen, I want you to hear why I believe that. I don't need you to agree to meet with me, but I want you to hear why. I recently had an issue with my mother who's uh, nearly 90 and her opinion on something was all based on one presenter on Sky News. Mm, yeah, yeah. And I threatened to have Sky News removed from her ATV <laughs> service to begin with, because I didn't realize that my lovely immigrant mother had turned into a card carrying bigot based on one guy on Sky News. Yeah, it's crikey scary. But secondly, it's the idea that that can happen because if you're on TV and a presenter, you must be telling the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at some point, that shifted for that generation. It was the truth, and now it became, it, it's effectively paid advertising. Yeah, like yeah.
1: yeah, I think that's really interesting because the problem that we have now, well, the problem that comes with our our critical thinking or our cynicism or our skepticism is that it becomes a lot harder i think to find that reliable source of truth that we all agree on right, right. um and, and like i think that's the the uh, trade off is that young people now have to become more responsible for their own learning and for their own knowledge and for their own yep. critical thinking which is great because in many ways we've got the skills for it and in my view it leads to better outcomes but i do think there's this kind of consequence to it the um the interesting side here as well that, that um, we haven't touched on yet is what happens when young people have all this knowledge and whatnot, but don't really feel like they have the position or the power or the the yeah. opportunity to kind of do anything with it. And I think there's a distance that I, that I would present from young people that can be really grating that says like, oh, I, you know, this is particularly for young people who are in more vulnerable positions where like maybe they can obviously see something good or they want to have this conversation because they've got knowledge about it, but there's no one around them to listen to them, to empower them. There's no place for that to happen. Um, that can be a surprisingly grating, difficult thing. You kind of know in yourself that this is wrong, that something needs to be done differently. But you have no position to do that. Um, yeah. I think that that's a, a question of why even something like, you know, client-centered care for young people in our business Fred, is, is important. This is the kind of conversation about empowering young people is recognizing, oh, there's actually this really rich base of information, of, of critical thinking, of useful and and creatively destructive thoughts about society amongst young people um how do we tap into that and ensure it's not just kind of swirling around inside them and, and really kind of grading on them because there's no there's no outlet for it there's no space for it to go because i've certainly seen that for, for young people especially the more politically engaged young people that i'm peers with but who maybe don't have the space for that at home and so they they can't be politically engaged at home and so then they come to like chat with friends and it's just like this barrage of really sophisticated but kind of like um Uh, needs to get out of them political discourse and that's kind of friends become a great space for that and it's a great way to develop that that network but uh i think it's interesting how much angst that can cause when you can't actually express that uh those thoughts in the scheme of things
0: completely and and two of the things that we know that um contribute to um extreme outbursts of frustration in younger people and always Mm. have, is the idea that a lack of recognition for their ability to critically think, which all younger people do, Mm. all people do, but but definitely something happening more and more. And the second is the idea of being disempowered and devalued when they express an opinion. Um, And this is something I think is really, really interesting and a shift in parenting and a shift in education, in that it's gone from um, do as you're told Hmm. to what do you think? And that's actually genuinely a very difficult transition because parenting, it's always easier to say, no, do as I tell you to do. Right, okay. Um, and we, you know, socially, we combat issues because we're also more aware of risk now than we ever have been because of the information age. I'll give one parallel that used to frustrate me a lot. Uh, when I was... um Probably about 16 or 17 and thinking about voting and did some inquiry i remember asking my mother um, who she voted for and she said in this family will we only vote for the liberal party <laughs> classic and i said okay why and she couldn't answer the question i asked the same question of my father uh, and a more recent migrant. And he said, I vote for the Liberal Party because, and he outlined the fact that the Liberal Party had a more, in his opinion, a fairer approach to tax for small business. And he mm-hmm. was an independent business mm-hmm. owner. Yeah, yeah. The, the migration policies of the Liberal Party that allowed him to come to Australia had been really beneficial for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he wasn't comfortable with some of the stance that the then Labor Party had taken on migration. Uh-huh. Um, that he spoke about the idea of uh, the foundations that he saw in that party as being consistent and what the other party of politics reminded him of in his background that had been um, not particularly beneficial for where he grew up because there's a link between labor and socialism, etc., etc., and that that didn't work out so well in uh, pre World War II Italy for yeah. anybody. Yeah. So. <laughs> So what became very interesting for me was the fact that somebody was programmed to believe it and didn't know why, but someone that had to make a decision had to absorb more information. Mm-hmm. And I remember that conversation for my with my father ending with, but you get to make your own decision. Just promise me you'll always vote.
1: Yeah. Okay. Perfect.
0: And I said, "That's really interesting." Why? He said, "Because I've lived in a place where they took that away, and it's always better to vote and to argue about who's right than to have no say in who's in charge." Mm-hmm. And that's the bit that—that's the bit where I really learned a little bit about. And I say it now when when people around me talk about donkey votes and stuff. My response is, "No, no, 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 no." That vote's more valuable than you believe, regardless of the outcome. And I think your generation gets that, whereas a lot of my peers got so sceptical that they didn't for a while. Mm -hmm. And you bring it back to the teals or a move between conservatism and and left-wing thinking. And I actually quite like the idea of the voice debate. What I dislike about the voice debate was when we had the same-sex plebiscite people that were arguing against recognition of same-sex marriage were doing it on the grounds of um, a morality, not a practicality. I think that the arguments in the current debate about the referendum have skewed towards a very right-wing way of thinking versus um, a a moral or an ethical way of thinking. And I think the moral and ethical way of thinking has to win out because if you can dominate that, and this is why I think young people and critical thinking and information is the key, if the loudest voice with the strongest opinion wins the day, that's a very, very concerning argument for me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe me, just look at American politics at the moment for what the consequences can look like.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great place to end up with this, Fred, this idea of like polarization, but also critical thinking. And maybe what matters then is having good justification that you're willing to engage with one another about, um, and and from there, we can end up having something a bit more constructive.
0: Listeners, it's been a fantastic uh, little jaunt into the responsibilities of the young people to teach us older folks up and down and right from wrong. And I'm not going to lie when I say, um, if you open yourself up to what people are saying, Um, there's a lot to learn. But just remember, they're the ones with the broom that are accountable right now to clean up the mess that a lot of the other generations Mm. have made. So don't (laughs) shut them down. You've got to hear them out, even if it's a challenge to you. The challenge challenge for you is to hear rather than to believe what you know to be right, because there's a lot of development and evolution in that. Matt, as always, a pleasure. Mm, Thank you very much for it. And please tune in next week for more scintillating conversation, uh, prognostication, and debate between Matt and I on If I Only Knew.
1: Awesome. Thanks very much, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Lanch, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is the podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes, and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.